Well, hey, friends. Welcome. My name's Aaron. Welcome to the Salo Podcast. If you are just hopping in with us, we have begun a journey into Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And at the very beginning of this collection of teachings, that represents really what Jesus was all about in his life and his ministry in one place. Jesus begins with a list of blessings. That's what the Beatitudes mean. It means blessing or blessed. And he's pronouncing blessing on all these different groups of people, which was not an uncommon practice for teachers in Jesus's day. But what we find is Jesus is pronouncing blessing over unexpected kinds of people, right? He's essentially saying, hey, here are the people that are going to really dig what God is up to in the kingdom. Like God is up to something in the world. He has inaugurated something that is coming to a head in my life and ministry. You're going to see things and the things that I say and the things that I do that are reflective of his heart. And he's taking all of this creation somewhere. And now these are the people in God's kingdom who are going to be honored and valued and at the front of the line. They are going to be the ones that are so thrilled at what God is doing in the world as he turns the lives of people and the very realities we live with upside down, or we might say right side up, as God makes all things new. But the people are not the kinds of people that we expect. They're certainly not the kinds of people that we find blessed oftentimes in this lifetime. And so when Jesus says these things, uh, it kind of flies in the face of what we know to be conventional wisdom. And so as such, it's in this beatitude section, they strike us as paradoxes. And the reason for that is that this is not conventional wisdom. It is paradoxical. This is the counterintuitive wisdom, the kingdom of God. So I say all that because one, if you don't count yourself a believer or a follower of Jesus, uh, if these strike you as strange, it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Uh, these are strange. These, this is different. Uh, God is doing something completely new in the person of Jesus, and what he's inviting us into is completely new and completely different than what the world would offer us, which, on a side note, is a reason you can't just sprinkle a little Jesus dust over your so-called American life. Um, to walk in the way of Jesus and to say yes to Jesus is not a one-time prayer. It's a number of yeses, one step at a time, one day at a time, that will, if you will let it, turn your life upside down. And through us in time, we'll yet turn the world upside down. So, we sit at the feet of Jesus, and we're hearing his words. And he begins with these words. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then, uh, of course, in the Luke version, he says simply, blessed are the poor. And then he follows it with this. Blessed are those who mourn. And here the paradox of Jesus and the kingdom of God are on full display. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Just sit in that place. Blessed are those who mourn, he says. Happy are the sad. Blessed are the depressed. Now, immediately, this should, this should, uh, this probably hits us in a number of different ways. 
this was the first beatitude when I first sat down to teach this uh, about a decade ago, knocked me off center because I think if all of us were really honest, we would have to admit that none of us want to mourn, right? Like that is not a desire that we have. In fact, if you are American like I am, and I think most of us who listen to this are, uh, we've been raised in a culture that actually avoids mourning at all costs. We are very uncomfortable with sadness, with grieving. Uh, ours is a culture that's been described at times as sort of whistling past the graveyard. Like, we want the positive, keep the negative away. Um, and in fact, uh, Malcolm Gladwell is probably a name that many of you are familiar with. And he's got a podcast uh, called Revisionist History. And he did this episode a long time ago, but it just kind of stuck with me. He's reflecting on pop music and what it actually reflects back to us about ourselves. And he looks at Rolling Stone magazine's top 100 pop songs of all time. And one of the things that he points out is that there's really nothing of substance in, in those, those songs. Um, there's no talk of grieving or sadness or mourning or suffering or anything uh, in fact, best he can tell, most of them are about hooking up or about to hook up or just having had hooking up. Uh, but sadness is not a place that we ultimately want to go. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, we have a, we have a problem, right? We have, we have an issue. Uh, we're being confronted with something in ourselves that, if we're really honest, uh, we would rather not go but it's a place that I believe Jesus wants to invite us into. And this is one of the things that I love about Jesus is the authenticity, right? I, I love how vivid and authentically he paints the picture of what it will be like for those who choose to follow after him. Because part of what I believe he's saying here is if you choose to go on this particular journey and become a kingdom person, right? That is a person who is being shaped by the person of Jesus, the work of God through him, people who reflect increasingly the heart of our Heavenly Father, uh, he is saying that if you go this route, your life will at times be full of things like mourning and sadness and grief and loss. And if he's right, as, as much as that may sound like bad news, that somehow there is a profound blessing to be found in this and that Somehow there is a, a beautiful and full life to be found even in the midst of those moments and those seasons of sorrow. And you see, for mourning to happen, there has to be a couple things. Uh, in fact, there has to be two things present. There has to be loss and there has to be love. So if you've never experienced mourning, I know something about you today. If you've never experienced profound grief, I know that either you've never lost anything you loved or that you've never really loved anything you've lost. Now, if it's the first, if you've never really lost anything you've loved, then I would encourage you to just hit pause on this podcast right now and just pray a prayer of thankfulness that so far in your journey and story, you have somehow managed to avoid this very common and universal experience of, of loss and grief. But if the fact actually is, is that you've never actually truly loved anything you've lost, well, then I would submit to you, friends, that there's something tragic about the story that you're living. 
there are parts of your heart that for whatever reason up until now have become inaccessible, hard perhaps, cold perhaps, shut off perhaps. And at the very least, I would submit to you that God wants to invite you into a very different way. And that is going to require a tremendous amount of courage and openness to what God wants to do in you. I think it's worth pointing out that whether we like it or not, uh, whether we want to or not, whether we know how to do it well or not, no matter how hard we work or how good we are or how faithful we remain, no matter what we do or how we do it or when we do it or why we do it, every single one of us will mourn because mourning, it's a universal experience. Like sooner or later, you're going to find yourself there. So we all have to mourn. And at some level, we have to learn how. Eugene Peterson uh, writes these words. He says, you know, we come into this world as little babies. And, and what's the first thing you did when you were born? I'm sure you can't remember, but I bet you can guess. Uh, <laughs> you cried, right? Uh, if you've had children, you know this. It's the very first thing that happens. You cried. And he goes on, he says, well, we go out the same way, surrounded by mourning and tears. And if it isn't our mourning and tears, it's the people who love us, who are having to let us go. It's there at the beginning, it's there at the end, and in between, says Peterson, is what he calls the substratum of our life. It's bookended by grieving. And he, he points out that there is this thing that just seems to be there, right? Some just under the surface, like we're only one click away from grieving and loss and sadness and mourning. And, and, and sometimes it's unadmitted and sometimes it's unconsciously there, but just beneath the surface, it's there. And so in one sense, I think when Jesus calls attention to the, uh, this in Matthew 5 verse 4 and says, look, blessed are those who mourn, he's in some sense, he's legitimizing like that pain, that sense that something is wrong. Blessed are those who mourn. All right, blessed are those who can. Blessed are those who do. Peterson suggests that, you know, perhaps among other things, one of the reasons that this, this substratum of our lives, this, this sense of sadness and loss that seems to be always just around the corner, sometimes a low-grade reality that's just sort of there, this vague sense that something is wrong is because even when it's there in ways that we cannot name and even in times when we're not fully aware of that something is wrong, right? And that is what, what is wrong is that since the fall is we, every single one of us are living east of Eden, right? We have been cut off from what we are created for. Right, the things in our lives and around us and in the lives of those that we care about, they're not the way that they're supposed to be. A paradise has been lost. And on this side of eternity, we're never going to fully find it. Right now, the interesting thing is, if you've been, you know, alive or following after Jesus for any length of time, you know that one of the interesting things is, is that every now and then you catch a glimpse of it, Right. 
Like every now and then you find yourself in one of those surreal moments where it feels like everything is right in the world, right? This transcendent moment where somehow, some way, uh, you are struck by the beauty of around uh, that is around you. You are aware of how loved you are by your heavenly father. You feel safe. You feel surrounded. You feel full, right? Like, uh, you know, maybe you're, 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 in a worship gathering and this song that you've never heard on kicks in and, and something happens, right? Like the spirit of God shows up in this way that you can't fully explain that you didn't expect. And you are moved into this space of experiencing something powerful and profound and transcendent. You right, and, and like you, you're, you're thankful. And then you rush home and you look the song up on Spotify and you hit play and it's the same song but it's not the same experience, right? And maybe, maybe it's the environment, right? And so you can't wait until the next time that song is played at church. And it is, and again, it's not the same, right? That's because those moments are, are fleeting, right? They, they don't last, right? They're so beautiful and profound, and then they're gone. Almost, sometimes almost as soon as they come, uh, they're gone. And we wonder, where did it go? Because it, it didn't, it didn't last, right? And there's something in us that wants to grasp onto these. Like you think about the story of Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. God, the Spirit of God shows up in this way that, that Peter had never experienced. And what does Peter want to do? Uh, he wants to build some tents. <laughs> you know, he wants to stick around. He wants to build a monument uh, to keep this transcendent, beautiful, powerful, spiritual, Holy Spirit-infused moment the way that it is. And Jesus essentially tells him, that's not why I've come and that's not possible. Not here and not now. And I think it's important to acknowledge this because every time that we experience this, it's an echo of something, right? It's a, it's a memory of something. And so the desire for those moments, they're not bad. In fact, I think if we can become more aware of them and recognize them for what they are, is it's a memory somewhere inside of us of Eden. And, and there's a part of us that intuitively knows that we were, we were built for it but it never fully stays. And I think it's important to acknowledge that every time that you and I find ourselves in that intersection between what is and what isn't, right? For the intersection of what we long for inside of us and what is actually going on, that you and I are smelling something in that moment. Like we're remembering something in that moment. There's a part of us that longs for those things to be made right. And that's a memory of where you came from and where your heart and soul was created to go and to be forever. Of course, the the hard part is living in the in-between. And that's where we find ourselves now. In between, you know, the fall, the coming of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the promise of God to make all things new and living in the already and not yet. Peterson points out, even on our best days, we can experience this vague sense of loss underneath the surface in our very existence, that we're incomplete, that we've been cut off, and that something is not quite right. And he's exactly right. Ecclesiastes 3.11 puts it this way. It says, God has set eternity in the human heart. So it's in you and it's in me. And we long for it. And every now and then we can taste it and smell it and get a glimpse of it. And the good part of this desire is it is an instinct for God. Like if we will pay attention to it, it will keep drawing us back to our heavenly father. 
back on our knees in prayer, back into the word of God, back into his presence. That's the good part. But with that comes an inevitable, an unmistakable, unavoidable grieving, a mourning towards those things in this world and in our lives that do not reflect the heart of our Heavenly Father and are not reflective of where God is taking all of this. You see, for those of us who'd follow after Jesus, I would submit to you that there's a part of us that needs to learn how to mourn. And just to put it out there, this is going to be very countercultural because it's not just true of American culture. It's also true of our church culture. Brian Zahn, pastor and author, he writes this. He says, we have this immature obsession with being happy all the time. It is in our culture and it seeps into our churches and it's not healthy. I sometimes think we are trying to replace the symbol of the cross with a smiley face. Serious Christianity has given way to inspirational Christianity, which in turn is turning it into insipid Christianity. Have we replaced the serious theology of the cross with a pop psychology of happiness? Have we traded something sublime and serious, majestic and mysterious for something silly, prosaic and shallow? It's a juvenile obsession with cheap happiness? He goes on, I I don't think I'm overstating the problem. Because we're uncomfortable with sorrow, we passively enforce a kind of mandated happiness in our churches. And instead of weeping with those who weep, we just want everybody to cheer up. And we want them to cheer up for our sake because we are so terribly uncomfortable with their sorrow. What we should do is join them in their sorrow and assist them in the work of grief. When human beings suffer tragedy and profound loss, there is a certain amount of grieving that is required. But in the deep mystery of human interconnectivity, the work of grieving does not have to be done alone. And when we choose to bear the burden of sorrow with others, it really does lighten the load for the suffering. The question for us is, can we create churches that understand that mourning is not a sign of weakness, but a spiritual work to be attended to? A spiritual work that Jesus says leads to the blessedness of comfort from outside ourselves. And he goes on, I think this is profound. This quote is a long one, but it's about done. Uh, He says, the only way to be happy all the time is to dive down inside yourself and cocoon yourself and live in an artificial world of your own creation. Because if you engage with the world as it is, there will be times when powerful asteroids of sorrow crash into your life and it leaves a crater. But it's a crater that can later be filled with something from the Lord called joy. See, and I think Zond is on to something really important here. Right, because essentially he says, sorrow is a necessary consequence of loving others and being fully engaged with humanity. Which means, at the very least, that there are times in which mourning, grieving, is the only appropriate response. 
just a few weeks ago, we were at our son's elementary school for their final day. It was their big celebration, and they gave out awards. And, you know, our oldest uh, two daughters, they, they're both in middle school now. Our oldest is going to high school, which is kind of crazy. Uh, but we have found ourselves, you know, we're surrounded a lot more by teenagers these days than young kids. And so we're in this gymnasium with all these elementary school kids. And my wife Megan and I just found ourselves kind of giggling to ourselves <laughs> at at just how hilarious children are, you know, like the amount of unbridled enthusiasm of everything, you know, um, there's one point in the in the presentation where one of the art teachers got up and she goes, who here loves art? And, you know, the entire gymnasium of children erupts and every hand goes passionately up with a, me, <laughs> you know, and so we were just we just kept laughing at just the the joy, the energy, the innocence, the those little voices and little laughs, and just the beauty, the beauty of it all. It's like we just kind of had forgotten it. It had been a while. And it wasn't even uh maybe a week later, uh, all of us saw on the news just the horrifying reality that another young man walked into uh the elementary school in Texas and shot nearly 20 of these innocent littles. And for any of us who have young kids or grandkids or who just have children in our lives, like when this sort of thing happens, there's, there's no good answer for why and a deeply emotional response, right? Because there's something beautiful and innocent and something unfathomable about taking the lives of so many of them for no, no good reason, right? And of course, in that, knowing that each one of those kids have been created an image of God, like the Imago Dei was alive in every single one of those until the, the bullets started flying. And, and all these kids are never going to have the chance to, to you know, to, to pursue their, their dreams or, or their jobs or to have their first dance, you know, or get married or have a career or become parents themselves, like all these little lives that are cut short. And here I think we come to face to face with this, this reality that, that the scriptures, that Jesus is drawing us into and confronting us with as kingdom people. When we come face to face with something that is so evil and so profoundly wrong and so utterly broken and so non-reflective of the heart of God, it is literally anti-Christ. It is it is the antithesis of the character of Jesus, which is the character of God. How are we to respond as Jesus' people, as kingdom people? And I think for anybody who has the Omega Dei in them and who is anywhere on the road of, of discipleship, the only appropriate response is to mourn. It is to grieve, right? It is to sit in the ashes with those who are hurting and lost. And the, I would suggest to you, the deeper you press into Jesus and the longer you go on this road of discipleship, the more you're going to be confronted with things that do not reflect the heart of the Father. Right? You think about the war in Ukraine, the terrible crimes against humanity that, that the Ukrainian people have been subjected to. Uh, you think of any time we abuse one another, all right? You think about 
the lostness of our cities, the broken homes, kids who are left to fend for themselves, right? Foster care and, and all of the brokenness that is represented there. Just a few weeks ago, we took a tour of the city of Knoxville, which is our home base, uh, with a, a friend named Kevin DuBose. And he walked us through the, the racial history of our city and some of the seminal moments and places that have led to injustice and oppression systematically of people of color. And of course, that's not unique to our city. That's part of our, our nation's history. Like, what are we to do as kingdom people? And I think the only appropriate response is to grieve and to mourn because we know that God himself mourns. You know, one of the most profound truths, perhaps, in the scriptures is that Jesus wept. That God in the flesh does not turn a blind eye. And even though he knows how the story is going to end, he still hears the cries of his children and mourns with those who mourn. You see, there are times when mourning itself becomes the mission. When mourning with others is what God invites us into. Romans 12, 15 puts it this way. In Romans 12, 15, we read, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You see, there is a deep message of hope in this. Because remember what Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes is this is an announcement. And what he is saying is not just go and be sad. Though there's a time for us to go and mourn and grieve with those who mourn, he is also making an announcement because what we do when we do that, it is a preview of what is to come. Because what Jesus is saying is, listen, for those who are overtaken by sadness, whose, whose world feels like it's fallen apart, who feel like they, they've lost everything and they are undone by their grief, blessed are you. For you will, not maybe, not might, you will, when the kingdom breaks in, you will be comforted. You are not forgotten. God sees you. He hears your cry and he will respond and bring comfort to even the most painful raw, broken parts of ourselves where healing feels impossible, God is not done. When we rejoice with those who rejoice, when we mourn with those who mourn, that is a message that we put flesh and blood on. When we take on the burdens of others and we sit with them, not even necessarily to fix what is broken, because sometimes we can't, but to acknowledge with our words, with our presence, with our actions, that this is not the end. That we serve a God who sees you, who hears you, who calls you his beloved. And he is a God who's in the business of bringing life out of the most hopeless, seemingly hopeless, of circumstances. So I want to end, just land the plane here, knowing that you know, if you're listening to this, uh, of all of us, we probably come to this 
message and this beatitude by Jesus from a couple different places. Uh, Some of us find ourselves in the midst of very real mourning right now. And after the past couple years, uh, I know that's more than a few of us. And so here's just a word, I guess, for those who are mourning. Uh, You don't have to go it alone. And you were not created to try to do that. The problem is you live in a culture that celebrates autonomy and you have technological tools that lend themselves towards isolation and loneliness. And if I could just give you a pastoral word, don't do it. Don't do it. Find a community of faith to press in with. And I know not all churches are created equal and not all people of faith, sadly, are safe people. We are all broken in our own ways and somewhere on the process of discipleship. So find a safe community and enter in. You are not the only one who is mourning right now. There are people all around you who are suffering, who are hurting, who long to be a comfort and who long to be comforted right now. And you just might find in entering in that you begin to experience Jesus in ways that just can't happen on the other side of a podcast. And so Jesus invites you into his family. And so I'd encourage you, don't go at it alone. Secondly, I would say for those of us who are not mourning, at least not in this moment, is that we've got a job to do. We need to do the hard work of learning how to mourn with others, to sit with them and to practice the ministry of presence. Scared you don't have all the right answers? Hey, that's fine. Actually, you don't need all the right answers. Most people aren't looking for your answers. Most people are terribly lonely and need a loving presence in their life. Right? We know statistically right now, statistically based on surveys here in the U.S., that most people say that they don't have one person in their life that they would consider a close friend, somebody that they could call in the middle of the night, regardless of what was wrong or what they needed. That should break our heart. And that should also be a call to action. We have got a job to do. And part of that is allowing God to do the work in us as we enter in. And so I would encourage all of us as we seek to, rather than avoid the suffering among us, to open our eyes wide, to to enter in and to have the courage to grieve when it's appropriate, to weep with those who weep, is that we also need to continue on the road of discipleship and allow God to make us into the men and women he's created us to be. And that is an internal work that only God can do. We can open ourselves up and have the courage to enter in, but God needs to do a transforming work in us. And so I would encourage you, if you have the courage to, to pray this very dangerous prayer. And that is, Lord God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart, Lord God, for what breaks your heart. You begin praying that prayer and you'll begin to feel what God feels, which means at times you will grieve and you will mourn the things that are broken in this world, but it also means that into that space, God will pour his loving presence out both in you and through you. Grace and peace, friends.